Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm here today with Colin Cerniglia. He's the author of the book Culture of Excellence, What We Can Learn from the Yankees About Leadership. Andrew Rotundi, co-host of the Bronx Pinstripe Show, says of the book that it was fascinating to read, a take that wasn't just about wins and losses. Culture of Excellence gets at one of the age-old sports questions. How does leadership and team culture affect the on-field product? The Yankees, with their eccentric leaders, compelling cast of characters, and sustained greatness are the ideal organization for this study. Colin is president and CEO of Talent 409, a Charlotte Leadership Academy that works with athletes and athletic teams to enhance their vision and culture. In Culture of Excellence, he offers lessons learned from his study of one of the premier franchises in Major League Baseball about how to motivate people and improve team performance. Colin, welcome to the show. Landis, thank you so much for having me and that great introduction. Yeah, it's great to have you, and I'm looking forward to talking baseball with you today, although when we're recording here in June, uh, it's not quite the boys of summer that we are used to, is it? Absolutely. It's been one of the hardest years from like just a pure baseball fan perspective and, and that, right? But obviously, there's a lot of other things going on right now that are a lot more important, but hopefully baseball will be back soon to provide some type of distraction for us. But first about you, you were a baseball player in high school, right? Yes. Yeah, so you've always loved baseball. And, uh, you know, you're from Syracuse, New York, you told me, and you moved down to Charlotte a couple years ago. What brought you here, and uh, what do you find most different about Charlotte from where you grew up? (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, we came here for a number of different reasons. I'd say probably the two most important ones were economic reasons for those who aren't aware even before the pandemic, the central New York and really anywhere outside of New York City and in the state of New York, it's just been 
pretty tough economically the past 25, 30 years, at least as long as I've been alive. I'm 31 now. And there really hasn't been a time where things have ticked upward to the point where it's like, okay, another 30 years from now, what's that going to look like? Am I setting myself and my future family up for success economically? So a big reason coming down to Charlotte was economics. It was Charlotte, we saw as a big area that was growing and had a lot of younger folks like myself and my wife. And uh, the other reason, I guess, was just weather related. It's Central New York is a super nice area. The Adirondacks are there. There's a lot of really fun things to do. But the unfortunate part is you can really only take advantage of that two to three months out of the year. I mean, this past year, my parents were sending me pictures in May. It was still snowing there. So it's yeah. it's either snowing, raining, and coming down here to Charlotte, except for the occasional hurricane, tornado warning. It's not all that bad weather-wise. Well, and the humidity in the summer. Don't forget that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we get the humidity up in Syracuse, yeah. so we're at least used to that. <laughs> all right. So you founded a company called Talent 409 Leadership Academy. I think I asked you whether you hit 409 in high school, and that's why you named it uh, Talent 409. What, what What is Talent 409? Yeah, uh, I wish I hit 409 in in high school. (laughs) That would be great. But the Talent 409 Leadership Academy is essentially just a place for primarily for student athletes. And even more specifically now, it's for women in sports and women at the, the amateur. So like the high school and the collegiate level, the genesis of it all was in my corporate career, being a recruiter, hiring entry level positions and not not being able to hire these former student athletes because they couldn't articulate in interview settings what they did in athletic competition and how they learned to be a team player, how they learned to overcome adversity. So many things that you learn in athletics and that you can take with you into the corporate world, but because they didn't have an internship or because they didn't have a ton of quote unquote real world working experience, they thought they were behind the ball. So that was the genesis of it all was to say, we can help these student athletes, former, current, help them identify what makes them great on the athletic field and in competition can also make them great in life after sport. So that's great, Colin. You've got this uh, business that helps uh, with this idea of leadership uh, for athletes. And uh, now you've got a book, which we're talking about today uh, uh, in the same, same, topic area. And uh, you also do something where you talk about these uh, issues on a podcast called the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Uh, how long have you been podcasting? been podcasting since August of 2018. It was by far the best decision I ever made, especially from a creative standpoint, but really just a, an awesome opportunity. So there are some episodes mixed in there where it's just me, I call them solo pods, and talking about topics that we just spoke about, whether it's leadership related or culture building or anything like that. And we talk about those topics on the podcast just to give people an idea of what my thought process is and what I'm thinking throughout everything. So we do that, but the majority of the episodes, like you mentioned, are guest episodes, which allow guests to come on and predominantly now they are women but in the beginning it was a little bit more mixed and there are still some males that come on as well to talk and they share their stories and their experiences through athletics and through their transferring all that into life after sport what that looks like whether it's a corporate career whether they're family people whether they're doing community building 
So it's been so much fun because it's, I don't have a master's degree, but I joke that it's kind of like getting a master's degree, getting to listen to all these people talk about their stories and, you know, share their expertise, like I said. And it's just been a such a fun venture that I wish I had started it sooner, but I'm glad I started it when I did. And we're over 100 episodes in now and just really looking forward to what the future holds with that. Well, that's great, Kyle. Congratulations on that. Being a podcaster myself, I know what you're talking about when you say that you uh, you learn by experiencing uh, the wit and wisdom of your guests. And uh, I've had that experience myself here on Charlotte Reader's podcast. Uh, wonderful that you're doing that. Uh, hey, let's talk about the book cover a second um, before we get under the covers. Uh, you know, when I picked this thing up and looked at it, I thought to myself, yeah, I can, I can see... I can see a bit of Yankee in here. There are these stripes on here, these uh, kind of blue stripes. Talk about the stripes. Funny enough, that suggestion came from a Red Sox fan. I kid you not. Oh, really? <laughs> I had, huh. I, I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups. I'm sure you are too as, as a writer. And I had just submitted one of the early drafts of the cover for some feedback because you're allowed to do that in that group. Like it's on Wednesdays or something like that. So I submit it. And I get a bunch of really great feedback from all these these folks. And there's this one Red Sox fan who goes, hey, I'm a Red Sox fan, but I think it would be really cool if you put pinstripes on the cover. So the, the original draft didn't have the pinstripes. And I thought I was like, wow, that, that would be really cool if it works. And so I asked the designer, they put it on and I saw it and I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, I'm so glad that that person said something because I, I don't know if I would have said something being a, a Yankee fan to a Red Sox fan or something like that but it was a great suggestion yeah it is i mean i can see you know you've got the the, the vertical stripes uh separated you've got a, a picture of a of a batter at the plate there's there's dirt flying it looks like he's about to get a base hit of course he is because it's uh what we can learn about leadership and so forth but uh maybe i'll just wait and hold this question until we get under the covers are you ready to get under the covers yeah, absolutely let's go hey listeners before we get under the covers i'd like to share some benefits that are available to you, our listeners, if you sign up for our email list at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com, uh, we will send you uh, a free ebook, the first book in my Christmas courtroom trilogy. We promise not to spam you. That just takes way too much time. We just provide a bi-weekly newsletter to let uh, listeners know what's coming and uh, allow you to engage with the show. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm, and if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word, you may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte Reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, so we're under the covers here with uh, Colin Sunigli. It's uh, The book is Culture of Excellence, uh, What We Can Learn from the Yankees About Leadership. And I guess my first question is, Colin, it's kind of like writing a book for Democrats or Republicans. You know, it looks like you're cutting off half of your market share here if you're just going to focus on the Yankees because aren't there a lot of Yankee haters out there too? <laughs> yes, there are quite a few. And I, <laughs> I can imagine that there are going to be people that don't even give this book a chance because right. of that. But yeah. I'm hopeful that the stories in there are compelling enough and powerful enough that they can maybe bypass some of that bias. <laughs> yeah, well, why, why did you want to write about the New York Yankees? 
Yeah, there were definitely a couple reasons. I mean, I think the first and the most obvious is I've just been a Yankees fan since I can remember my my first baseball experiences watching the 1996 World Series video. And the Yankees won the 1996 World Series, and I was impressionable enough that that was enough to make me a Yankee fan without really knowing that it was my dad's favorite team or really anything else about baseball. So, you know, I've that was I was six years old, I think, or seven years old when that happened. And I'm 31 now, so pretty long time that I've been a fan of the Yankees. And during that time, I've just been able to read a lot of different books about the Yankees, whether they're about the teams themselves throughout the years, whether they're about the individuals. There's a lot of really great biographies out there, uh, former Yankee players, managers, coaches, etc. And so I think the the main reasons that I wanted to write about the Yankees were I was a fan, but also that there was a lot of accessible information and there was an opportunity for me, somebody who's not affiliated with the Yankees, to write about a subject that I was passionate about and that I thought would be super compelling and have enough material out there to actually write something. Whereas like if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, nothing against them, there's just not a lot of literature out there about the Tampa Bay Rays. So unless I'm an actual Tampa Bay employee and I've been with the organization for long enough to, to know this type of stuff, I'm not going to be able to write a book about that. So I think those are probably the primary reasons. <laughs> yeah. And I was, when I read the book, I was surprised um, that there was as much history in the book as there is. I mean, I learned some interesting history about George Steinbrenner and the Bronx Zoo. I, I guess I grew up during that era, but it was, uh, you know, there was always trouble with the Yankees. And, and you talk about uh, the suspension of Steinbrenner in the book, which I thought was interesting. And I was thinking about that in light of, you know, the fact that there's a lot of cheating that seems to go on in baseball. You know, we've had the, the stealing scandal, you can go all the way back to the, you know, the Astros stealing signs and you can go all the way back to the, the Black Sox throwing the game. And then Steinbrenner gets thrown out because interesting story, just very quickly tell it. Cause I'm not sure that people remember why he got expelled from baseball. Yeah. So <laughs> Steinbrenner, one of the most interesting characters. Uh, if, if you, if you need a visual, he's very similar to Donald Trump. They were actually friends. So it's not surprising that their personalities were, were similar. Although I think Steinbrenner was able to adapt and change a little bit more than Trump, but I regress. Anyway, there is a, a moment in time in the late eighties where George's prized free agency acquisition from earlier in the decade, Dave Winfield, him and Dave Winfield are, aren't just seen straight on many things and, and they're getting into a lot of fights and the Yankees aren't winning and they're the epitome of toxicity as I write it in the book. And Steinbrenner decides that he wants to destroy Winfield <laughs> and wants to unearth all of this information about him, not really knowing that there's anything about it, but going off this hunch that's, that Winfield is not allocating his contributions to his foundation correctly. And so Steinbrenner pays off a known gambler to get that information. And that story gets leaked to the Daily News, the New York Daily News. So nobody knew about it outside of maybe people inside of Steinbrenner circle until that story broke. And when that story broke, you know, much like the current day with the Astros scandal, nobody knew except maybe the people inside of baseball knew that the Astros were cheating until the story became public. And then the commissioner looked into the allegations and Steinbrenner was 
initially not suspended for life. He was just initially given a, a short suspension, but he was the chair of the United States Olympic Committee, and he didn't want to give that up. And so as a way to continue to do that, he was given another choice, which was to take a full lifetime ban from baseball. And And at the time, it was shocking. It was something that nobody thought was ever going to happen. But long story short, it doesn't end up being permanent. George Steinbrenner does come back. He changes from being very uh, Trumpian in the way that he led to somebody who's a little bit softer and a little bit more adaptable in his second term, as I call it, with the Yankees. But that that is a turning point, and that's really the genesis of the book is, is Steinbrenner's suspension. Yeah, and you talk about uh, sort of three pillars in the book. You focus on pillar one is leadership, pillar two is culture, Pillar three, you get into a little bit of organizational structure, but you did, uh, I think, spend a lot of time talking about uh, the evolution of Steinbrenner because you said, I believe you said leadership starts at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was he was the most important person and the most important element to write about in this book. It was also the most difficult part to write because his story is so up and down. It's a true roller coaster I mean, so many, he doesn't, he has a a transaction with the Cleveland Indians to buy them before he purchases the Yankees. And at the last minute, the deal falls through. And so that's down and then up, he buys the Yankees and then down, he's suspended the first time because he contributed illegal donations to President Nixon's campaign. And then up, the Yankees win two straight World Series in the late seventies and then down like we said, with the with the suspension. And then and then we get to this point where he comes back after that second suspension. He's a little bit older and maybe he's been told by people if he messes up a third time, you know, baseball three strikes, you're out, that he won't be so lucky this this third time around. And and he really changes to to be somebody who's, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit softer, a little bit more adaptable, and people can start to build coexisting relationships with him, something that just wasn't a part of his DNA in the seventies and eighties. So he's a very different owner in the nineties and the two thousands before he gets sick. And, and it's just important to be able to like, it is to tell the the full story about the Yankees as, as a franchise over the course of the past 30 years, it's important to tell Steinbrenner's full story because then you see that leadership is about learning from your past mistakes as much as it is about being able to to lead the people in your organization. And you're not always going to be great at it, but nobody, I don't think anybody ever misunderstood Steinbrenner for wanting the, the best for the Yankees and wanting the best for himself and what he was doing. He just maybe didn't take the right steps towards what he wanted to achieve all the time. Okay. So this might be a good time to throw in a little read here from the book. We do this on Charlotte Rears podcast. Uh, Maybe start uh, with the introduction, good place to start and read a little bit because it tells us a little bit about Steinbrenner, this uh, very volatile, pivotal person, um, which, uh, as you said, evolved over time and, and the evolution, the, the interest in change, the desire to change, the willingness to change, I think is one of the things you talk about in your book about uh, what, you know, what makes for a great organization. So uh, anytime you're ready, just pick it up with your reading. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, as you mentioned, just a really great because it's, again, I think it's the genesis of the whole book and it explains why we're looking at essentially a 30 year scope really in depth. Obviously, there's a little bit of backtracking here and there, but we're really looking from 1989 until present day. So the introduction, the Bronx Zoo 
and Birth of a Model Organization, the first subtitle, 1989. Where we begin this story isn't by accident, as arbitrary as the year may seem. The year 1989 was a momentous time for the purpose of our starting point. No, it's not because it's the year I happened to enter this crazy world. It's not because 1989 meant saying goodbye to the preceding disco decade, or because it began the fall of the Berlin Wall, or because we were still trying to figure out if that sitcom Seinfeld was really a show about nothing. The year 1989 is important to this story because it marks the turning point of a franchise that had been in turmoil for almost 25 years. Starting that year, a series of tragic and dubious decisions would change the fortunes of arguably the most successful and recognizable organization in world sports history. The first of these occasions came on December 25th, 1989. The site, Port Crane, New York, a small farming area located just north of Binghamton. Billy Martin, the on-again, off-again manager of the New York Yankees, had just finished up another day of carousing with his pal, William Reedy, when Reedy drove his pickup truck into a drainage culvert near Martin's home. Martin, riding in the passenger seat of the truck, was pronounced dead at a hospital in Johnson City shortly after the crash. The scene that played out on that sad Christmas day, and later in court, sharply illustrated the nutty atmosphere that engulfed the Yankees during much of George Steinbrenner's first 16 years as majority owner and general managing partner. Sure, under the boss, as Steinbrenner was affectionately known, the franchise briefly returned to relevance during the late 1970s through 1981, even winning two World Series titles in 1977 and 1978. But by all accounts, in 1989, they were a flawed franchise. A large amount of that dysfunction had been created by Steinbrenner and Martin. These men were known for putting the glory of winning above all else and were widely regarded as egotistical. Thus, it was inevitable that they would clash often and have a difficult time coexisting. Theirs was a classic love-hate relationship. The boss fired Martin five times over the course of 14 years. Each time Martin was fired, the owner wanted his manager back almost as quickly as he had ousted him, resulting in a dizzying cycle of firings and rehirings. What do they say is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If you had a Webster's Dictionary in 1989 and opened it up to the page that defined insanity, you could have put a picture of Steinbrenner and Martin shouting at each other. After all, the era is regularly referred to by many as the Bronx Zoo. Instead of more organizational chaos, 1989 became a defining year for Steinbrenner for the Yankees, and for the sport of baseball. Martin's death effectively put an end to the charade that was the George and Billy show, which was rumored to be ramping up for another season at the start of the 1990s. Seriously, six days before Christmas of 1989, Steinbrenner and Martin were at an annual holiday pageant in Tampa for 2,000 underprivileged kids and had talked about Martin replacing Bucky Dent as manager of the Yankees at the first signs of trouble during the 1990s season. Okay, so that, that, that gives us uh, kind of a good uh, feel for what was at the top of the leadership board at that time, and you've already talked about how Steinbrenner changed. One of the things you talk about, uh, you have some favorite sections you talk about in the book, and one of them is building trust. 
Why is that one of your favorites? Yeah, that is such a, it's, it's one of my favorites because trust in general is something, even before I had put this together, was when we're teaching workshops and when we're working with student athletes, when we're working with coaches, trust is like right at the top of something that you need to have in order to actually build a relationship. In order to not be transactional, there needs to be trust. And when you're talking about building a compelling culture, something that people want to be a part of, something that people will tell other people to be a part of, you have to have trust. So it's always been something that we talk about. And then when we get into this section of the book, it largely focuses on Joe Torre, former manager of the Yankees, and his ability to build trust with his players throughout the seasons. I think one of the biggest stories real quickly that stands out for me was Chuck Knobloch had demanded a trade from the Minnesota Twins. Chuck Knobloch was the Yankees' second baseman from 1998 to 2001, and he had demanded a trade from the Twins. They weren't winning. He wasn't happy. He wanted to go to a contender. He gets to the Yankees. And all of a sudden, it's like all that pressure just catches up with you. You remember that even if you're a player, even if he had asked for that trade, he's still a human being. He still has feelings. So he's feeling the pressure of being in New York and being expected to produce immediately and every single day, dealing with the New York media. On top of that, his dad is dealing with Alzheimer's disease, the early stages of Alzheimer's. And so it's a very difficult time for Knobloch. And there's a point in that first season in 1998 where Knobloch goes into Tory's office after a game and just says, hey, I need to talk. And Knobloch tells Tory everything that I just outlined. And Tory was a master at a lot of things, but I think connection was one of his biggest assets. And Tory was able to connect to Knobloch in this moment where Knobloch really needed some affirmation about him as as a player as a person and tory related to knobloch in one conversation tory related to knobloch in a number of different ways but i think most powerfully was tory had been traded himself as a player and had dealt with the expectations of a fan base he was a former most valuable player like at a higher level than knobloch had ever even gotten as a player and tory dealt with those same insecurities that come with being traded and going to a new place and having new teammates and so tory reminded knobloch that he was getting on base at a high percentage that he was playing on a team that was setting a, a pace for a record amount of wins that season that he just reminded him of all the positives but also related to him and, and told him I know what you're going through. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, gave Knobloch a day or two off and just kind of regrouped. And, and Knobloch was really instrumental in those dynasty teams in, in the late 90s. And, and that was just a really great, I think, example of building that trust and building that connection because it could have been really easy for Tori to just shake it off. If Tori maybe didn't have that experience and he wouldn't have been able to build that bridge with Knobloch, but instead it, it just relax Knobloch and let him know that things were going to be okay. They were going to work through it. And, and Joe Torrey was going to be the guy that would help him get through it. Yeah, that's a great story. A uh, qu couple of quick writing life uh, questions before we run out of time here. Did you always want to write a book? Uh, and uh, how long did it take you to write this one? Yes. I always wanted to write a book. It took me from everything from research to writing to now publishing, it's it's going to be over two and a half years. So it's definitely been a, a long process, but it's something that I, I wanted to obviously take my time with and make sure that I got right. Yeah. And uh, what do you hope people learn 
from this book? I mean, you can't tell them everything. It's, it's a book. You've researched everything, but is there anything that just comes to the surface right away about what you hope people take away from the book? Yeah, I, I think the thing I hope the most for this book is that people see it as a book about people and less as a book about a baseball team or baseball players. Like you're not going to read the book for these nerdy stats. I mean, if you're a baseball fan and you were looking for that, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just not the type of book it is. These are people stories there. The human element is present in pretty much everything that we talk about throughout the book. So I hope that that is a takeaway because we'll, the, the second thing that I hope is that people can take these stories and relate them to their own lives and their own situations, whether they be work situations, whether they're personal situations. I think you can learn a lot from these different stories. And even if they're not directly the same, you can take some of those lessons and be able to apply them in your own life. So that, those are, I think, the, the two biggest takeaways that I'm hoping for from this book. And you actually uh, sort of ran this book production process uh, like the manager of a baseball team, right? Because you uh, put together a team, independently published. You got a group of editors, designers. You, you were the Joe Tory of this production, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that is a great compliment. I, I will take it. It, it. it was not easy, but yes, it, it's uh, it's been a process. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, did your players perform? I certainly think so. I'm super excited. Uh, I know. Again, this is obviously coming out later, but I'm getting the proofs ordered this week for the book. And uh, I mean, I'm at a point where I think it, it looks real. It feels real. It, it just it does feel really good to have taken that time, even though it may seem long for, for some people, just really taking that time, making sure I'm lining up with the right people and, and getting a product out there that is as close to what I want it to be as, as humanly possible. Yeah, that's great. Well, it, when this comes out, it will be out and you'll be, uh, you'll have a book, you'll have a new baby, uh, you'll have, are you, and then, and then the question is going to be, are you going to write another book at some point? <laughs> I I would love to, uh, I certainly would love to continue to, to write books about this. I think in order to be able to do that, I would need some type of organization or program to grant me some access to you know, clubhouse kind of like we talked about earlier where it's just difficult to the yankees are kind of the outlier where you're able to get that information from the hundreds or thousands of books that are out there but i would love to continue to write about topics specifically in, in sports I, there's a lot of great programs and a lot of great examples that i can think of that would probably be very compelling and, and just as useful stories so i hope to write again in the future maybe it won't be the same type of topics but it's it's definitely a lot of fun well, that's great. Well, listeners, um, there's going to be information in the show notes uh, about Colin, about uh, uh, his talent, uh, 409, and about uh, uh, the book. And uh, Colin, thanks so much for being a uh, part of Charlotte Ridge Podcast. Yeah, Landis, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker, and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, 
please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved.